0: Last time we meet this year because next week is the week of Christmas and a lot of people are busy doing things and then after that, you know, who knows? Week between Christmas and New Year's is a free for all. So um so yeah, this will probably be our last time that we meet this this calendar year. And then we'll pick it up after the new year, since we're all traveling <laughs> or not. But but because it is difficult to get together sometimes, we'll just um so people don't miss. We'll try to, um, we'll try to meet, we'll try to take a little bit of a break and then come back together in the new year. Okay. So that's, that's kind of our plan. Um, also for those of you who hang out with us on Sunday mornings, there is not Bible class this coming Sunday at our church. Cause we're having the kids uh, Christmas program. So there won't be Bible class online this Sunday. Cause I'm not, teaching this Sunday. So um, yeah, I'm not happy about that. I miss, I will miss teaching and miss seeing you on Sunday morning, but we got to have the kids Christmas program. So that's that. So yeah, a lot of no class announcements. That's not fun. So we'll we'll have fun the time we have together and then we'll look forward to when we get back together. So tonight we are going to work on Galatians chapter two. And um, as I say, I think every week, This is a really important text and a very good text for us to study. So we will try to get to it right away. So let's pray. I'm actually recording. these. I don't know why. I'm not posting or anything. I'm just recording. But let's pray, and then we'll get to our study. Lord God, Heavenly Father, as we continue to celebrate the season of Advent, when we look forward to the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we look forward to the celebration of his coming into the flesh, as he bore our sins in his body but we also look forward to his second coming when he promises to come again to bring us into the new heavens in your presence with glorified bodies in the resurrection so prepare our hearts and our minds to live by faith and to trust in you as our god who loves us and forgives us and bless us now this night as you study your word in galatians May our study be according to your will, that we might see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so any questions that you have for me from last week or any other week that you've been wanting to ask? Can you give a quick refresher on what Scripture interprets Scripture means? Yeah, good. Good. So one of the premises of how to read the Bible is that Scripture interprets Scripture. So what that generally means is that when you're looking at a passage, any passage of Scripture, and and uh, let me clarify for a second. When I say passage or text or pericope, that's, those are just words that mean whatever part of Scripture you're reading. That can be as small as one verse. It can be as large as a book. Okay, so if you're looking at, at Scripture and you're trying to figure out what does this mean, What does this passage mean? What does this book mean? What is this theology that he's being taught, that's being taught here, whatever. When, when we say that scripture interprets scripture, what that means is the first place you look to interpret that passage is other scripture passages that would apply to that same topic or that same idea, or even restate the same theme. So um, in a very real way, If you're reading Paul and Paul says something like tonight, we're gonna talk a lot about law and gospel. So when you say, well, what does Paul mean by law, Uh, when we say scripture interpret scripture, what we'd say is the first thing you want to do is read other Paul texts, other letters of Paul and see what Paul says about law. And then you kind of want to read other New Testament books and see what do they say about law. And then you want to see how do the New Testament books use the Old Testament idea of law and seeing it as it's fulfilled in Christ. And so that's where you would go for your interpretive uh, matrix or the field of interpretation is in the other books of Scripture themselves. Okay. And that would give you your best idea for how Scripture helps you interpret itself. And then after you get all that under your belt, you might look around at other you know, non-biblical literature and say, well, uh, maybe church fathers have looked at it this way. Maybe, um, this word might, might have a role in non-biblical Greek literature that we could look at or Hebrew literature or something like that. So those things help us to understand historical use of words, in historical settings, but the main way to interpret scripture is to read the Bible and to find other places in the scriptures that explain the passage to you in the scriptures themselves okay and is that principle come from scripture like the only thing i can think of is they search the scriptures and like is there like you know can you look and read the bible and have that
1: principle emerge yeah
0: so so one of the very good question excellent question and it you know if, if that's our principle that scripture teaches us how to read scripture then you think the principle itself should be in scripture right <laughs> that would make sense And actually, that's exactly why, that's why we have that principle is because the very New Testament itself is full of scripture passages from the Old Testament to prove their point about what they're saying. So when Matthew wants to prove that Jesus is a fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament and the new Exodus, he, he quotes Hosea and he says, see, see what the Bible says here out of Egypt, I have called my son. So when Jesus wants to prove his point, he quotes the Old Testament. He says, you've heard it said. Right. You've heard it said that it says this and he quotes the Old Testament when Jesus wants to teach them that all of his work was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Luke 24, 44, he says, you know, all this was was what was written in the law of Moses and the prophet in the Psalms. So we actually learn from the the scriptures themselves to quote the scriptures in order to interpret scriptures. So, yeah, it's very much learning from the Bible itself to do this. And then. Um, and then the more you read, the more you realize that a lot, not just the direct quotations, like where it says, as scripture says, or this is, this is to fulfill the scriptures, but actually you have allusions, scriptural allusions all over the place to other stories, other events, other characters in the Bible itself. And they use those as the way to interpret what's going on. Okay.
1: Right. Yep.
0: Good, good question. Very good question. Any other questions that anybody might have? Jeremy is saying the other thing that's interesting is that some scriptural citations in the New Testament are from Greek Septuagint, that also affirms, yeah, that you can you can quote um, you can quote translated scripture too, which is fine. Okay, so let's read Galatians two. Now, remember in Galatians, Paul last week went over kind of Paul's travelogue as he talked about how he did not receive the gospel um, from people, but he received it direct revelation. And so he spent his time learning from God the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he also went to Jerusalem occasionally um, in order to kind of check in with the leaders of the Jerusalem church to make sure that he wasn't preaching this and they were going to come in and preach against him or disqualify what he preached. So he went and he met with, with James and Peter and John. And he, again, he says not to learn from them a gospel, but to kind of tell them what I'm saying so that we're not against each other and all this and that they gave him the right hand of fellowship and um, ask him to remember the poor. So he said, that's what I was happy to do. So that's where we're at in the narrative. And now we're going to move on and say, okay, now that I've I've established this, then he's going to tell us we're having a confrontation with with Peter we're going to read about. And then that confrontation is really going to read to the theological meat of Galatians, which is really, um, yeah, the the center of, as some people would say, the center of the New Testament teaching on how we are saved is found in Galatians chapter 2. So we'll get there. Okay, so let's read Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. Galatians 2, 11 through 14.
1: But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself
0: Very important um, occurrence in the history of the church. So, number one, why is this confrontation noteworthy? There's a couple different things going on, but why, why is this confrontation so noteworthy?
1: Started to open the gospel to the Gentiles.
0: Good. So, this is kind of a launching point to get the gospel... To go to the Gentiles. And like I said, this confrontation is going to even result in Paul explaining the theology of the gospel going to the Gentiles and really helping explain what the actual content of the gospel is. That's exactly right. So in a historical way, as far as the movement of the church, you think maybe the book of Acts, when you think about how the church was kind of moving along in the early part of the church. This is an important timing issue for the gospel. Um, gonna go out to the Gentiles now. So uh, very good. That's that's extremely important. Why else? What else do you note about this that would kind of make you go, wow, that's quite an event.
2: Well, Paul's calling out Peter, and Peter was the kind of head honcho.
0: Yeah, so Paul, <laughs> Paul is actually gonna rebuke Peter. So remember, Cephas is is just the Aramaic word for Peter, okay? So Paul is going to rebuke Peter. Now, a couple of things about this that is very important. Don't forget that this is not the first time Peter's been rebuked. We all know this. We've heard sermons on Peter. Peter's our favorite whipping boy sometimes sometimes. Um, But if you go back to Matthew chapter 16, so the first book of the New Testament, we're in Galatians, so go back to the very beginning of the New Testament. Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Acts, and then John, Luke, Mark, Matthew. So Matthew chapter 16. And you guys all know the story. You've heard it. You've heard it in church. You've read it, I'm sure. So Matthew chapter 16 and... We'll, we'll first of all, let Peter kind of look good, right? So um, so in verse 15, Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. This guy has lots of names, you know what I'm saying? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, right? So now skip ahead. So in verse 21 then, it says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but the things of man. Okay. So this is a very strong rebuke of Peter by Jesus. Um, We all know, like I said, we all know this. It's kind of even popular in, in normal parlance. Get behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan, whatever you want to say. Uh, but but notice what Jesus says here. For you are not setting your mind to the things of God, but on the things of man. That's important. Okay. So now when when Paul confronts Peter, this is a major, this one, it does kind of remind us of Matthew 16. But it also would call to mind huh. Acts. So go to Acts, the book of Acts, which is the fifth book of the New Testament. So if we're in Galatians, you can go back Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, Romans, and then Acts. Okay, so go back a couple books there to Acts. And I think it's chapter four is what I'm thinking. It, although as I say, that doesn't sound right. It's five. I knew it wasn't four. didn't sound right five so acts chapter five and this is a story you also probably know pretty well and this is a story of ananias and sapphira or if you're a little more daring ananias and sapphira and these this is a couple in the early church and what's happening in the early church was peter was the leader of the church and he was performing miracles just like jesus performed miracles and um, he was really leading the church, and everybody was selling all their possessions and giving it to the apostles, who would distribute it to the poor. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, um, they sold a field, and they went to Paul, to Peter, and said, "Here's all the money for the field." And Peter said, "Is that really all the money? I mean, you don't have to give all the money, but you said it's all the money. And I don't think it is." And they're like, no, "No, no, seriously, this is what we got for the field." And Peter says, "You're lying," and Ananias falls over dead. And then Sapphira walks up, and oh, by the way, and they carry Ananias off. And then Sapphira walks up, and she says the same thing, and she also falls over dead. And they carry her body off. So what happens is, you don't want to cross Peter, right? You cross Peter, you die. That's kind of what happens. They're like, okay, (laughs) whatever you do, don't lie to Peter. You'll fall over dead. So then... All of a sudden we have this confrontation in Galatians chapter four or Galatians chapter two, where Paul is now rebuking Peter. Whoa. So Paul, who remember, he was he was persecuting the church, you know, 14 years ago, he wasn't even a Christian, and now he's rebuking Peter. He's, I mean, that's that's a big deal. Who do you think you are? You kind of sound like Jesus. Okay? So it's a big deal because, yes, you're exactly right. This is, this is the beginning of this idea of the gospel going to the Gentiles. But it's also a big deal because Paul is rebuking Peter. And remember, Paul's whole point in this is that my gospel is not submissive to any man. What I'm telling you is the truth from God. I'm not saying this to please man. Right? If I was in the business of pleasing man, I would not be preaching Christ, right? So Galatians 1.10, for am I seeking the plural of man or of God? If I were trying to please man, I, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ is what he said in one ten. So here we have it. So Peter, the, the guy is in Antioch and Paul rebukes him because Peter is wrong according to the gospel okay so that's really the the largest of this confrontation so i imagine the people that were watching this were watching to see if paul would fall over dead right but he doesn't so maybe he's right we'll see i've read the end of the book paul lives for a while so we're good Ironically, this has nothing to do with this story, but just so you remember, Peter and Paul probably die about the same time in the same persecution in Rome in the mid-60s. We don't have either one of their deaths officially recorded because, you know, Rome really wasn't into writing down the names of the people that they fed to the lions or cut their heads off or crucified upside down. They were just criminals. So, yeah, they died in the mid-60s sometimes. All right. So, number two. So what was the issue? What was the issue of this confrontation?
1: Saving by works.
0: Yeah. So the big issue is is salvation by works. Okay. So we're going to get here. Works versus faith. Oops, I can't write today. I know you guys are saying you can't ever write, but today's been worse. Okay, works versus faith is part of the issue. What else? Well, let's Peter um, was, okay. oh. go ahead. Somebody.
3: Oh, Peter was associating with the Gentiles, and then when the other Jewish people showed up, he acted like no, 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 he
0: didn't want. Oh, I don't hang out with him. them. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. What else? Somebody else was saying something.
2: Well, at one time it was God's will, wasn't it? Or are it no? I don't know. Was it? Well, he was he was not he was not going along, or Peter wasn't going along with with that with God's will.
0: Right. Okay, good. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So so the issue here is really is Peter living according to the will of God? That's exactly right. That's the big issue. And so what Paul is actually accusing Peter of is hypocrisy.
1: Kevin. Yeah. Had they already had the uh,
0: council in Jerusalem about taking the gospel to the Gentiles by this time? That's a very good question. Um, And hmm, I say no. I say that this is actually prior to the council in Jerusalem. So the Council of Jerusalem is in Acts 15, which took place in 49 AD, okay, or AD 49. And the, the question about the timing of Galatians is, when? how do you read chapter 2? Is the visit that he describes in Galatians 2 the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, or is it the, the visit to Jerusalem that's recorded in Acts 11? And I, I don't think that, at, that Galatians 2 and Acts 15 are the same visit. And there are several reasons for that. Um, not the least of which is this confrontation with Peter is that Paul doesn't cite the decision of the church in the Council of Jerusalem, which you think he would have if that would have happened. So he doesn't even bring it up, and you would think he would. So scholars are divided on this as far as whether... Galatians 2, 1 through 10 describes the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, or if it's a prior visit to the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. Um, I actually am not totally sure that the interpretation of our present passage matters, because I think even if the the visit in Galatians 2, 1 through 10 is the Jerusalem visit in Acts 15, I still think this incident took place before that. Because he doesn't say... um, He doesn't actually say that that 11 follows chronologically after 10. He could bring up just another incident that people knew about. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, cool. Um, But but the the Jerusalem Council will play into the rest of the book and the, the decisions that are made there and how we deal with them. Okay, so the big issue here is hypocrisy. And, and what I, the reason I bring this up is because this goes back to Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said, Peter, you have in, ma- in mind the thoughts of man and not the thoughts of God. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about in chapter one, verse 10, is that, am I trying to please, am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? And this is a very important question for us as we think about our life in Christ. Am I doing what I'm doing to please people or am I living according to the will of God? And I'm saying this as a fellow sinner who doesn't get it right. A lot of the times, even when we say we're doing things for according to our faith or whatever, what we're really trying to do is please people. And this is part of the issue that Paul's getting at is that Peter was kind of saying, hey, when it's just you and me Gentiles, we can hang out together. But when the Jews showed up, he was like, I don't hang out with the Gentiles, right? I'm one of you guys, I'm one of the Jews. And, And Paul says, that's hypocrisy. So look at verse 13. And the rest of Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Barnabas was Paul's partner, and he's saying that Peter's hypocrisy, this pleasing of man instead of pleasing God, actually led others astray. Okay? So this is something that is also very important, also meaning we're going to do stuff next is also very important, In in Galatians and in the scriptures is the, the simple question of, am I living my life to please God, or am I doing things to please man? Am I doing things to make people like me, to get likes and shares and, you know, thumbs ups on my videos or whatever? Is that what I'm doing? Or am I living my life in a way that when I stand before God, I'm living to please him? And this is... This is a major struggle for us. Um, This is a major issue for us today in our council, our cancel culture, where if you don't say the right thing, you're going to get in trouble. It's a big deal in social media when you try to get likes and shares and thumbs up and whatever all those. I don't know what all that means because I'm really not on social media. I just have friends that are on social media, so I don't really know what I'm talking about with that. I literally just post Bible study on Facebook. That's all I do. Otherwise, I just, I'm confused. So um as i as i am um, the the social media manager for the senate is a, is in this class so i got to be careful what i say about social media but as i have often told him yeah, i'm not very it, good. I'm not very good at being, being either social nor using media so i'm right out of social media but anyway i know i know that a lot of our culture really has become oriented around trying to please people and what Paul says to Peter here is, no, uh, uh-uh. no, you don't do that. You don't change who you are based on the people around you. Um, what we really want to be doing is we want to live lives that are pleasing in God's sight. And when we do that, it, it'll actually end up working out way better. And I know that sounds strange, but here's the thing. God's will, Good people's will. Eh, Not so much, right? I mean, just think this through logically. God loves you. He loves you with an eternal love that will never change. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to forgive all of your sins and to rescue you out of hell so you can spend eternity with him in heaven. That's good. And therefore his will for you is probably also going to be very, very good. You want to do that. Now, here's the thing. People, even the very best people in your lives, are sinful. They're selfish. They don't have the same viewpoint as God, and their love is not as good as God's love. So it is important for us to remember that when we are making our decisions on how we're going to live our lives and our morality and our choices and our priorities and and what we stand for and what we, we value, we want to really make sure that we are pleasing God and not people. Okay. Our goal is to do what is right in God's eyes and not to change, to fit whoever is around and whoever seems popular. And I know all y'all, I know you got this licked back in the day when we were in high school, it was tough. We had peer pressure and stuff. Now that we're adults, we're no problem. Right. Doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. I, I, I'm telling you, I've done a lot of youth work in my day. Uh, lots of years with high school youth and junior high youth and college youth and and i still think that adults face more peer pressure than those kids do sometimes it's hard as an adult to um know how to live in this world just as much as it is for the kids growing up we're just older and yeah that's really all there is i think we're just older so that's the way it goes Okay, so um, really hypocrisy is a big issue. And I just want you to hear this, this continued theme of "Am i pleasing man or is I'm pleasing God. Now remember Paul's conclusion to this. If you are living to please man, that's one thing. And if you're living to please God, that's another. If you're living to please man, you will not be a servant of Christ. But if you are living to please God, then you are a servant of Christ. And that's really what Paul is going to get at in this chapter and in the next. Okay, let's see. We had a chat. Let's see what's amazing. There is a song for that, is there? Do I know it? I probably don't. I'm not good at social or media.
1: It's not worth reposting.
0: Okay, good. That's probably true. (laughs) I don't know. All right. Any questions on that? Anybody?
3: Kevin, I have a question.
0: Yes. Go ahead.
3: I have I have one, Kevin. Go ahead. It's, it's not directly to the point you're making here, but it's kind of around that. Um, I know in Acts, Peter had a vision about what was acceptable for him to eat with the Gentiles. So I know he was starting to associate with them at one time. And I yeah, we were kind of talking about that when we were studying Acts. Mm-hmm. So his, I'm trying in my mind to figure out the chronology of when Peter's vision might have occurred and this confrontation might have occurred because obviously the Jews have not accepted the fact that perhaps the Gentiles really are supposed to be part of the fold as well. And maybe this is still an issue that's feeding into the hypocrisy.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. I don't right. know if I'm
3: on the right track or not. That's, but that's you what's absolutely are. My I'm trying to figure out.
0: You're 100 on the right track. That's 100 the right answer, the right question. And and the, the way that I put it together with Acts is that I think I think this episode is after his encounter with with the, the vision in Acts 10, and then his encounter with Cornelius at the end of Acts 10. So that when he's with the Gentiles, he understands that they are Christians, and he's fine with that but he hasn't quite gotten the fullness of the gospel yet. So he still thinks that Jews still have to live according to ceremonial laws, and he's not quite ready to just jettison his Jewish way of life for the gospel yet. So I think that's one of the reasons I, I actually do believe that this, this issue with Peter and Paul is before the Jerusalem Council, but after Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, because I think Peter theologically knows the Gentiles can be saved— but I don't think he quite understands what that means for the Jews yet. And that's what P- Paul is going so to- So that
3: gave Paul- Go ahead. Right, and that gave Paul a basis to stand on to, to actually call Peter out on the issue. Because exactly. it had already been discussed and basically approved by the, the group. So. Well, it
0: hasn't been this yet. Okay, thank it's you. Been this, but not that, okay? So it's going to be approved by the truth, but it's, but, but in principle, it yeah, in principle, it has been, that's exactly right. So what's going to happen is in the next verse in Acts, in 2.15, Paul is going to say, Peter, seriously, think this through. We Jews are saved by faith, just like the Gentiles. So if they're not under the law, then even Jews are not under the law. And that is going to blow everyone's mind right? That is just going to freak everyone out. Um, And that's why chapter three is going to explain how um, Abraham himself was actually saved by grace and not by the law. So that's, that's exact. you're exactly right. That's exactly what's going on here. So any other questions? That was very good. Any other question? Yeah.
2: For Brian, was the song Jesus Freak?
1: no <laughs> oh,
0: sorry. okay but just jesus freak just turned 25 didn't it or something like that or oh my gosh yeah i, yeah, I did last month. month yeah yeah i was just thinking about peer pressure songs like what will people think when they hear my <laughs> jesus freak yeah see yeah, what they exactly. do they put that as true yeah good little ditty all right good so let's read galatians 2 verses 15 through 21
2: We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because that by works of the law, no one will be justified. The original Tang Tungler.
0: Yeah, no kidding. <laughs>
2: And the life I now live, in the faith I live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died
0: for no purpose. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Like I said, this is In a lot of people's estimation, this is the core um, passage of the Bible. This is um, where you want to look to understand how we are saved. So, um, very important passage, very very important text. Um, One of my favorite theologians, and he's a Paul. He has his PhD is in Paul, Paul's works, and he said. Galatians 2.20 is the best Bible verse. So I have it on good authority that Galatians 2.20 is the best Bible verse. Um, It happens to be my favorite verse, but a smart person told me I was right. So we'll go with that. But um, just very important text here. Talk about how we are justified. It talks about faith versus works. It talks about all those kind of things. Jew and Gentiles is all in here. So we're going to spend some time just looking at this and, and making sure we get it. So please ask questions as we go along. Make sure we get this right. So, number one, who is the we? It starts off in verse 15. We ourselves. Who is that? Apostles. It's the apostles, and specifically which apostles? Paul and Peter. Yes, specifically Paul and Peter, right? And he's going to look at Peter and say, now, 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 wait a minute. We're, We're the same, you and me. We're the same, Right? We are Jews by birth. So they're both born as they could trace their lineage to Abraham. Okay. So they're both, they can both trace their lineage to Abraham. They said, we're not, we're not Gentiles. Okay. So they're not Gentiles and Gentile sinners even, right? So we're not Gentile sinners. We can trace our lineage back to Abraham. So, yea, us. And, but he says, "But we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus." So, or in Jesus Christ. So, what he's saying is, even those who can trace their lineage to Abraham, that does not save them nor does obeying the law of Moses. That does not save them. If you are a Jew, you are saved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and faith in that as your savior. That's what saves you. If you are a Jew like Peter and Paul and can trace your lineage to Abraham and you've observed the law of Moses your whole life, well, guess what? None of that saves you. This is what saves you. And then what he's going to say is, and here's the thing. That's true also for Gentile sinners. It doesn't matter who you are. This is what saves you. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what saves you. Faith in Jesus Christ is what saves. Okay? So this is the clear teaching of Galatians chapter 2 is that Paul saying to Peter, You know what? We could go boast with all the Jews about how much we've kept the Jewish law. We could boast about our lineage to Abraham. We could boast about all that. But before God, that doesn't matter at all. The only thing that matters is faith in Jesus Christ. And we can look at those Gentile sinners. We can say, well, you guys are outside of Abraham's line. You're not keeping the law of Moses. You're sinners. Well, guess what? Faith in Jesus Christ is all that matters for them too. That's it. Kevin, yep.
3: So Paul, basically, by the grace of God, changes the theology of the church. Um, or broadens its base.
0: He teaches the fullness of it.
3: Okay.
2: So,
0: like, like we learned we went through Ephesians, what he says is this mystery has always been there. It's always been in the text. It just wasn't fully understood until we actually saw it happen in front of our eyes, right? It was there, and when you go back and read the Old Testament, it's there. This God is God constantly says, "I'm your God, and my relationship with you is defined by my unfailing love for you." Now trust me in this, right? So that's faith in God's love, but we didn't know what that love looked like until Jesus actually came and died and rose on, you know, for us. That's when, it, and so Paul says this mystery. So what we're going to learn is that Abraham. Huh, Abraham himself was saved by that. Moses was saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's not new. It's just now full, and we understand it. So when people go back and they think Abraham was saved because he obeyed the law, or Moses was saved because of his law, or the Jews are saved because of the, with the law of Moses, they're missing the point of the Old Testament, which is point to the death and resurrection of Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises.
3: Basically, Paul's life is a testimony to that.
0: Yes, it absolutely is. He's a physical example of this, which is very similar to the way the Old Testament is written, is that the characters in the Old Testament are actually physical examples of teachings, not just the words, but sometimes even their very lives and their actions, like the prophet Hosea or Jeremiah, um, even Samson to some degrees. Okay. Thank you. Yep. So number four, how does this passage teach the doctrine on which the church stands or falls? What is the what is the doctrine on which the church stands
1: and falls? Yeah.
0: sola nostra theologia.
2: Was that? Cruc sola nostra theologia.
1: Yeah. I like that. I figured you would.
0: So the cross alone is our theology. Okay, that's one way to say it. Very good. Okay, that's actually my one of my favorite sayings. The cross alone is our theology. Uh, but we also say that the, the, the doctrine on which the church stands and falls is it's justification, justification by grace through I cannot write today, I'm sorry. Through faith on account of Christ. Or as I say, because of what Christ has done. Okay? So we are justified by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. So justification is a very long way of saying Some people say saved, reconciled with God, um, united with God, relationship with God. A lot of these things is what you'd say for that. But this is the doctrine of the church and the classical formulation of it is justification by grace through faith for Christ's sake. Okay, so we are saved by God's grace alone and faith is something that God gives us by his grace. And the object of that faith is in what Christ has done for us And that is how we are saved. And this is not by works. Okay, So this teaching of justification means that our salvation is something that God does alone. God alone acts for us to be saved. So this is the central teaching of Christianity is that Salvation comes to sinners by God's action alone. We don't do anything to earn our salvation. We simply receive it as a benefit because of God's grace and what Christ has done. And the Holy Spirit teaches us through the word to believe that. Okay. And that is the central teaching of Christianity. Any questions or thoughts on that? It's like good news. It is the best news there is, because remember, all of it is all of it is based on God's eternal love that never changes, right? So, since God is the one totally in charge, you can't mess it up. I can't mess it up. This is all. This is all good news. Okay, and a lot of us in this study, a lot of us in this group, are Lutherans or know a Lutheran or have heard of luther and martin luther was a guy in the 15th and 16th centuries who basically um grew up as a roman as a catholic roman catholic and he learned that the way we were saved was that the death and resurrection of jesus made god happy enough with us that if we did enough good works god's grace in christ plus our good works means that god may not might not be so angry with us by the time he died that we would go to hell he might just send us purgatory or something like that and so luther spent his early days trying to figure out how to please god enough so that god wouldn't be angry with him so if he added in his works to jesus death and resurrection then maybe god would be happy with him and he got frustrated to put it mildly and Yeah, we'll discuss that a little bit. So he got a little frustrated and he actually got to the point where he said, I hate God because I can't ever live good enough or I believe that God loves me. I'm always going to be wondering what's going on. And so what Martin Luther did was he was actually a he was actually a theology professor. And when he was teaching through the Psalms, he was also reading through the New Testament and he discovered he said, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that I'm saved if I add enough good works to God's grace and eventually you might love me. No, the Bible actually says that we are saved by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. And that's the Protestant Reformation. As that he said, this is the doctrine of the Bible. And when he went back and he read the church fathers and he read the history of the church, he said, this is what the church has always taught. This whole idea of good works is actually a late addition. And really we went astray. So the Reformation was simply reminding the church earlier, I think Susan was, that said um, that Paul was reminding the church or, or correcting their theology. And it's kind of the same thing, is that Luther came along and said, wait a minute, guys, we've gone wrong somewhere. Let's make sure we're getting back to the teachings, the basic teachings of Christianity, which is that we are saved by grace through faith um, because of what Christ has done. So that is then classically speaking the doctrine on which the church stands and falls. Okay. And then one of the ways that we summarize this is the, the cross alone is our theology. So it's all contingent on the cross, right? It all happened on the cross. Okay. Questions, thoughts, comments. Kevin, yeah, it seems like Ephesians two, eight through nine is a good bookend for this. Uh, verse. Exactly. Um, Yeah, so when we studied Ephesians before this, which actually follows this, then Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is, is one of the places where Paul summarizes this doctrine in slightly different words. Um, but really part of this formulation actually comes from that verse. So 2, 8, and 9 is the verses, and I think get you guys know this by heart. It says, um, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So there you get the by grace and the through faith, right? And this is not of your own doing it as a gift of God not the result of a work. So no one may boast. And if you look back in verses four and five, you'll, you'll get the Christ part of it. So it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. So in Ephesians, it's by grace through faith and Christ is the one that makes you alive. And in Galatians, He's going to go about it a little bit different. He's going to emphasize the through faith part of it and the Christ part of it. Okay, so put that all together into one formulation. Okay, other questions or thoughts? All right, number five. So how are works of the law and faith in Jesus contrasted? See, what he says here is that you know that a person justified by is not justified by works of the law, but is justified through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what is the contrast here? How are works of the law and faith in Jesus contrasted?
1: one saves you the other doesn't is one why Uh
0: uh-huh that's right
1: why and one is uh one results from the other in other words your works result from your faith good faith from your works
0: yeah exactly right you get it backwards right so you don't you don't work in order to believe and you don't work in order to be saved but you but you work because you have been saved that's exactly right so faith faith precedes works and that's exact very well said so one of the things we want to talk about is when we talk about our standing before god so here i am down here as a sinner and god's here how do i stand before him if if i am saying well look at me and look what i'm doing i'm going to please god by me and the focus on me that's the law and that will never save Right. Not saved. But if I say I'm related because of what God has done in Christ, that's how I'm related to God. Then I'm saved because of faith in what Christ has done. So law points at me as the measure of whether or not I'm saved and my accomplishments, my works, what I have done, where faith looks at Christ and says, that's my salvation. I'm trusting in him to be my salvation. So it really is a question of where do you look for salvation? Do you look for to yourself or do you look to God? And when we look to God in Christ, Paul is saying that is the proper place to look for salvation. If you look in yourself, you are not going to be saved. Okay. And this is really the issue then in the, in the church. And a couple of people have brought this up. Um, yeah, exactly. One is God's work and one is our work. And so, it has kind of been a popular thing to say that there are two main religions in the entire world. There's there's the religion of works and there's religion of grace, okay? So all religions are either going to teach us that we are saved by doing things to please God or that we are saved because of God's actions, and the only religion that fully and Completely teaches that we are saved by God's actions as Christianity, because the action of God to save is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the issue is in today's church in America and in Protestant denominations, everybody would agree with what I just said. Every Protestant denomination is like, yep, that's exactly right. We are saved by grace through faith without works. That's exactly right. Nobody disagrees with it. But then you got to look out though, because then as soon as they say that, they'll say, but In order to know you are saved, you've got to do good works. You've got to measure your standing before God by your fruits. Because if you really have faith, you'll have fruit. And then the way to know that you are truly saved or truly have faith is to look at your fruits. And then what what have they done? Right away, they've said, yeah, that's all nice. But we're still going to look at me to determine whether or not I'm really a child of God. And that's where you got to look out. Look out for preachers and teachers that end up turning it back on you, okay? Because we want to make sure that the the fullness of the gospel is that you before God is defined only and always through the death and resurrection of Jesus. You don't look at you and your performance, okay? You always look at God and what he's done in Christ. That's who you are. And this is so important because even when we sin, this is still true. When you sin, when you mess up, when you are just, you know, it's just you can't even admit how bad you've been or, or how awful your thoughts are. You come before God and you don't say, I'm going to clean this up so you'll love me. No, you simply come before God and you, you confess your sins. Yeah, absolutely confess, acknowledge your sin. But trust in Christ that God loves you because of what Christ has done for you you're not, you're not insufficient. You're, you don't have to do anything to get better. You are loved and you are forgiven. And that's the good news. And this is the love that empowers us then to live lives of freedom. We're not, we're not weighed down by our failures. We're not defined by our insufficiencies. No, we are defined by the love of God in Christ Jesus that says to you that you are a child of God. You are treasured. You are God's eternal prize. And he delights in you. And he's given you to all of these people around you. You, I mean, just think this through. The fact that I can see your little name on my screen right now, that's a blessing. God has given you to this group right here and never let anyone tear that away from you because whenever we're tempted to look at ourselves for our worth, right? You say, well, what's your self worth? uh -uh. Oh, no, I don't look here for worth. I look here for worth. Look, look at what God says about you. Look who God says you are. He says you are forgiven. He says you are free. He says you are his child and he delights in you. And he gives you people in your life that agree with him. I mean, this is the amazing thing. Have you ever been loved by somebody who agrees with God about you? I have an amazing, amazing family who loves me the way God loves me. They know my awfulness, and they they still call me occasionally. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous, right? And and so you kind of go, what what kind of love is this that that doesn't pretend we don't have faults, but actually acknowledges our faults, forgives our faults through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and loves us. And that's what justification is, is that you are saved. And here's the thing, you might think your faults are kind of bad, but when we read the actual content of the law, our faults are actually so bad that we deserve hell. Not just deserve to be ostracized, We deserve actual punishment in hell. That's what our sins have earned. But when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law that we couldn't keep. That's that's one of the things it is. He fulfilled the law we couldn't keep. So he lived perfectly, fulfilled God's law. He also took the punishment that our sins deserve on himself. So when you put yourself in Christ Jesus, you actually receive full forgiveness of sins, no punishment for your sins, and the promise of eternal life with the one who is resurrected and conquered death. That's now yours. That's the full gospel. That's what we mean when we say we are justified by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. Okay? So that's that's kind of the, the, the whole point of this passage. Any questions? I know there's a lot. Any questions or thoughts on that? There's a lot of comments on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I should read them. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not able to two things at once. Well, my, my question is would you talked about the other denominations who would, they'd agree with that gospel and then take it away, but they would accuse us of doing the same thing with how we view baptism. So mm-hmm. how do we work through that with them? Yeah. So, so that's exactly right. Is, is, um, So, the accusation is well, you Lutherans say you're all about grace, but then you say, well, you got to be baptized, be saved, you got to have the Lord's Supper, you got to whatever, 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 or even you got to believe. But what we would say is that all the ways that we talk about salvation coming to us are those are the ways that God has promised to give us his grace. God has said, I'm going to give you my grace through means to people. And the primary means through which God's grace comes to us is the word. Okay. So God says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing the word, the word of Christ. And we say, okay, so the the means of grace is the word. Okay. The very word of God, The, the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of of law and gospel, the proclamation of Christ's death and resurrection. That's how God gives faith. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But then as you read the scriptures, as, as Tom asked before the class began, um, scripture interprets scripture. We also find out that, that that word and those promises of faith and forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit are also present in baptism. Okay? So he says... Repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we read that this word and the word in baptism is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's Matthew 28, verse 19. That baptism is actually a way that God acts to save us. It's not that we're acting toward God, but in baptism, God does what he says. When you are baptized, You receive, do you get that? You receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the forgiveness of your sins. It's something God does for you. And it's a means through which that word works faith and forgiveness of sins in your heart. Same thing is true. We hear about it in the Lord's Supper. Okay. So in the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, take and eat. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, Whenever you do this, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he talks about the reality of receiving the Lord's body and blood for either forgiveness or condemnation. So what we say is that through these means, the word actually impacts sinners through they bring in the death and resurrection of Christ. And so these things, whatever ends up with forgiveness of sins or salvation, it's always God's doing it. Always. So um, when you go to church and your pastor for- says your sins are forgiven, that's not your pastor actually enacting it, it's God working through that means to forgive your sins. It's, it's the same thing as um, anytime someone preaches the word, it's not the preacher or the teacher that's saving, it's the words that are spoken that God is working through to save. Okay, but remember, all of this happens, all of this grace and salvation stuff always happens through created means God always works through his creation to bring these things to his people and the the best example for that is this God's word is actually he used humans and writing and pages and words to get his word to us so that's what we believe about the means of grace as well is that God continues to work through the church to deliver that that free salvation to us Okay. Actually, to deal with the idea of God's wrath, I actually active punishment sin, we reckon the wrath is all spent on Christ. Yeah. So, um, when it comes to the means, the, the the wrath of God, we believe that the fullness of the wrath of God was poured out on Christ on behalf of every sinner. Um, but there are those who do not believe in this. They reject this work of Christ. And so when they stand before God on the judgment day, well, before Christ, really, on judgment day, then they will actually face the punishment for their sins as though Christ had not paid for it because they're rejecting that work. OK, so the wrath of God um, still exists. And that's really what we mean by people who have faith in Christ and people who are outside of Christ. Um, This is why we want to make sure that we're, we're proclaiming Christ. We're teaching Christ and that uh, people are hearing it because the, the benefit of what Christ has accomplished is for all people. We want, we want everyone to hear that and and trust it. Okay. There was a question about the wrath of God. Okay. So that's, that's the gospel. And this is really um, so, as I always tell you guys, and I'm saying it again, when you're listening to someone preach, when you listen to someone teach, when you're reading the Bible yourself, make sure that the focus of it is on what God has done for us in Christ. Make sure that's where your focus is. Even as you're reading your personal devotions, don't read the Bible, walk away, and say, "What should I do?" No, walk away from the scriptures, or or spend time in the scriptures, thinking, "What? How does this show me?" Maybe in a new and different way today, what God has done for me in Christ. And what an amazing God we have that he would love such a sinner as me and send his son to die for me. And that's that's the primary thing. Now, there might be things in the passage that teach you, because of God's grace in Christ, live this way. And we talked about that in Ephesians, remember? That because God works, we walk according to his will. But that's the secondary thing. The primary thing is to always be thinking what has God done for me in Christ and how does this passage help me understand that? Okay. Cause that's, that's the key. Any quick questions? I know we're a little late, but this has got to hold us off for two weeks or so. So there you go. So any quick questions before we go or thoughts? I mean, I don't know if this is quick, but um, how, and I'm, I want to make it clear, I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody, not at all, but how, how does, how does the natural man receive this news? You know, the person, I'm thinking back to 2 Corinthians 2.14 and the natural man, you know, how how do they, you know, we see this as such wonderful news and such, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. But how does a natural man receive this? Um, the natural man is offended by this. This is the most offensive thing you can say to a human being is that when it comes to your eternal standing before God, you have nothing to do with it. And so this is a very offensive message. So you think about Paul saying that this is foolishness, right? The message across the cross is foolishness to people. Um, they, they just don't like it. And this is why the preaching of the gospel is always so hard. And we're always tempted, um, I erased it, it was right here. But we're always tempted to preach to please man instead of God. And so believe it or not, preaching the law is a way to get people to like you. If I want to get people to like me better, I just tell them what to do. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I could, I mean, just think about it. People love being told what to do. You want to sell a book? Tell people what to eat. Even if you don't know what you're talking about. Just say, you know, I ate nothing but orange peels for six years and I lost weight. They were like, yeah, because you couldn't stand to eat. That was disgusting. They're like, it worked for me. And you write a book about it. People love be told what to do. They love it. And Americans especially, we love be told that Dude, it's all on you. You are the most important being on the face of the earth. And so humans want to be told that they're standing before a divine being is all contingent on them. Because what that means is they're actually the divine being. My eternal reality is all based on me. And we love to hear that. So it's totally offensive to say to somebody, the natural man who's worshiping themselves, to say to them, your eternal reality is based on God alone and what he's done. And you don't really play a role in it. You simply receive it. That's actually offensive. It's good news. It's good news. And those who believe the gospel see the goodness of it. But for the natural man, it's, yeah, it's offensive. Hey, Kevin. Yep. The,
2: uh, you've heard this many times, but I've always reminds me of when someone says you need to get over yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's the problem with so much
0: today is we just we we're so special that we we're our own world. Yeah, Um, we could we could definitely spend the next several hours talking about um, how Western culture has actually oriented around the worship of self. And not just in crass ways, like, yeah, those, those kids are so obsessed with themselves. No, it's actually built into the very fiber of our culture as Western society is the definition of reality being my autonomous existence. And, and it, it really does, it drives everything we do. And it's one of the things that we need to constantly repent of as Christians is that I am so focused on myself. Um, that it's very hard for me to actually believe that God is more important than I am. That's the hardest thing for me to believe. Um, I I have a, a regular meeting, well, not as regular now because we have this. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but in St. Louis we have a pandemic. I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but in at least in St. Louis we've got a little little issue. I don't know what's going on, but um, I before that I used to work. I used to meet with a, a very good friend of mine who's actually a professor at seminary. And whenever I sit down with him, I always say to him, and I've probably told you this before, but I always say to him, this conversation will go a lot better if you just agree with me that I'm God. Right. And he just laughs at me. And I say, that's exactly the point is that, you know, we need to remind each other, you know, you're wonderful. You're awesome, but you're not actually God. And we need to live our lives really um, rejoicing. This is what I say. I'm so glad that I'm not God because the, the real God, honestly, he's a lot better at it than I am. And when you look at what he's done for us in Christ, that's why we rejoice. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the good news of Easter. That's the good news of every Sunday going to church and rejoicing that your sins are forgiven and God loves you. And that's, that's the good news. Okay? Okay. Any other questions before we go? I know we're late. We got to get going. Some people have got stuff they got to get to, stuff we got to get done. So I'll hang out afterwards if somebody wants to ask questions or talk, but let's pray and then we'll go. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you are a loving God who forgives sins and calls us to believe in Jesus as our Savior and thereby save us. Help us to live lives rejoicing in your love and serving you with everything we are because of your love for us. Let us this night sleep in the peace of forgiveness and the joy of being loved. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Like I said, we're not going to be able to meet the rest of the year. A lot of people have got busy schedules, so... Um, we will see you all in 2021 hopefully by then the whole little pandemic thing will go away uh, but uh, anyway we'll be here online so we will see you again in 2021 uh, really Merry Christmas to all of you if you need anything at all while we're not meeting you can email me whatever you need anytime but uh, thank you so much for everything and hope you guys have a great Christmas and we will see you in 2021
2: Thanks. Merry, Merry Christmas and blessed Merry Christmas. new year. Christmas. Merry Christmas everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas to all.
2: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Merry Christmas. Blessed <laughs> advent. <laughs> Merry
1: Christmas.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Quick question. Yep. Uh,